0: So in message one, we saw the first of these crucial factors for the vital practice of the church life. And this first crucial factor was God's economy as the central line of the divine revelation. The Bible is the divine revelation. In the Bible, many things are revealed, but we must note that of all the things revealed, God's economy is the central line of the divine revelation. It is central. It is the most important. It is the focal point of the divine revelation. So today, as those that read the Bible, that take the Bible as the source of our faith, of our practices, we must see... The most important thing is God's economy. That's why Paul charged Timothy, you've got to stay in Ephesus and you have to charge certain ones. Don't teach things that are not according to the line of God's economy. Because if you teach other things, if you focus on other things which are not according to the central line of God's economy, this will just produce questionings in the saints and eventually it will cause their pe- there's even the faith of the saints to become shipwrecked. Well, <clears throat> God's economy, we enjoyed seeing it's God's plan, God's arrangement for God in Christ to dispense himself into man. Amen. That's God's economy. Dispensing of himself into man to gain his household and to gain a body for Christ for His expression. Now, in message two, we go on to see another crucial factor. And in this message, we see the all-inclusive Christ. God, in the carrying out of His economy, He only has one way. He only has one means. That's Christ! God's economy is centered in Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no working out of God's economy. So let's all read the title to mes- of message two. The all-inclusive Christ. The centrality and universality of God's New Testament economy. So this outline has one subject. Christ! There are many points, but all the points are just Christ Amen. to show us how all-inclusive Christ is in God's economy. Amen. And Christ is the centrality, and He is also the universality of God's New Testament economy. We will see as the centrality, Christ has the place of preeminence. He is Everything. Everything. He is the one who is first. First in God's economy. But not only is He the one who has the preeminence, who is first, but He is also the universality. Everything. Everything is in Christ. This Christ is all-inclusive. This Christ is all-extensive. This Christ is unlimited. Everything everything, brothers and sisters, related to God's economy is in Christ. I can't help but as I was studying this, just enjoying the chorus of hymn 513. Maybe if you know it, you can sing it with me. Uh, All in all forever Only Christ I'll sing Everything is in Christ. And Christ is everything. Oh, brothers. All in all forever. Only Christ I'll sing. Everything is in Christ. And Christ is everything. Okay, sisters. All in all. Only. everything. Oh, Christ. Christ is everything. So if you forget, if you forget everything through the rest of this message, just remember that everything is in Christ and Christ is everything. Well, because everything is Christ in Christ and Christ is everything, we have a full outline. We have a long outline so let's just right away come to this outline and begin to see this all-inclusive Christ as the centrality and the universality of God's New Testament economy. Let's read Roman numeral 1 together. Christ has the preeminence, the first place in all things. So this is from Colossians 1.18, where Paul declared in this verse that he, referring to Christ, Himself might have the first place in all things. In God's economy, Christ has been given the position, the place of preeminence. This is for Christ to be first, be first in all things with regards to God's economy. We need to understand that when the Bible talks about to be first, it means to be all. To be all. So for Christ to have the first place in all things, it means for Christ to be all things. All things. In God's economy, Christ is all things. And He has the first place. The place of preeminence. Now we have five points underneath this Roman numeral one to show us how in the universe Christ has the place of preeminence. The first one, A, tells us that Christ has the preeminence in the triune Godhead. The first, the Father, always exalts the Son. And the third, the Spirit, always testifies concerning the Son. So we know our God is triune. He's one yet three, three yet one. Yet the Bible reveals that in this triune Godhead, in Philippians 2.9, the Father highly, highly exalted the Son. Then in John 15.26, the Lord told us that when the Spirit The Spirit of reality comes. This Spirit will testify concerning the Son. Concerning Christ. So even in the Godhead, the Father likes to exalt the Son. And the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, likes to testify, to speak of who? The Son. My, if the in the triune Godhead, the Son has the preeminence, surely we should also Among us, give Him the preeminence. So one says, Christ has the first place in all things. For in Him, all the fullness was pleased to dwell. This is verse 19. For in Him, all the fullness was pleased to dwell. This word fullness is... Full of significance. Fullness means the full expression of the rich being of God. So the full expression of the rich being of God is in Christ. In other words, the expression of all that the triune God was pleased to be in Christ. It pleased the triune God that in Christ there would be the fullness. So when we have Christ, we have the fullness, the full expression of all the riches of the Godhead are pleased. Oh, it's significant. It just doesn't say they were in Him. It says they were pleased, pleased to be in Him. To dwell in Him. In him. That means to be expressed through him. Then in point two, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is in chapter two, verse nine. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Before Christ's incarnation, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him as the eternal Word. But from the time of His incarnation, the fullness of the Godhead, the expression of the Godhead has been in Christ in His body. There on the earth during His earthly ministry, but even so, it's still there today in His glorified body. The fullness is still pleased to be there in this one's body. Being expressed through this one. Not just in His earthly ministry, but even today in His glory. And so will this fullness be forever. This is in Philippians 3.21 where it speaks of the body of His glory. So what a Christ. In Him is the fullness. The full expression of all that God is. Then B goes on to tell us that Christ's preeminence is in God's old creation. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. This is in verse 15 where Paul said Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Christ is God. He's the creator of the old creation. But in the eyes of God, Christ, when he was born or incarnated to be a man, in God's eyes, he is the firstborn of the creation, referring to the old creation. In other words, it's because of Christ becoming a man. That's why there was a creation. If there was no Christ becoming a man, there is no need for the old creation. In fact, all of the creation was for Christ. For Christ to become a man so that the fullness of the Godhead could dwell in a man bodily. So that the fullness of the Godhead could be expressed through a man. So Christ is the firstborn of the old creation. We can say, He has the first place in the created universe. In fact, the created universe is all for Christ. For for Him to become a man, for the fullness to dwell in Him bodily. Then C tells us that in God's new creation, that means in Christ's resurrection, Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1.18, the firstborn from the dead that he might have the first place in all things. Because Christ is the first, the first fruit, the first one in resurrection, he has the first place in the entire new creation. And as we mentioned In the Bible, when the first is mentioned, it includes everything. Even with Adam, Adam is called the first man. And according to the Bible and the book of Revelation, Adam includes all created men. All created men are included in the first man, Adam. Well, if in resurrection, Christ is the firstborn from among the dead, to be the first in the new creation That means in the new creation, Christ is everything. Christ is all. That's why in Colossians 3, 10, and 11, referring to the new man, which is in the new creation, it says that Christ is all and in all. He's everything in the new man and in the new creation. Okay, then D says, We can also see the preeminence of Christ in God's exaltation. How about brothers, you read one. Christ has been exalted. He's been exalted. Where is he today? He's in the third heaven. You think about the tremendous power that that it took to put man on the moon. Well, that's insignificant when you consider the power that had to operate to not only raise Christ from the dead, but to exalt this one to the highest place in the universe. But God did this. God exalted this one, exercised a great power to bring him to the highest place in the universe, in the heavens. Has has God ever done that with anyone else? No, only, only Christ. Well, you might say, well, in Ephesians it says we were raised with him, And seated with Him. But don't forget, it says, in Him. In Him. In Him. Apart from Him, there's no way for anyone to be there in the heavens with Him. Then two, sisters, two. In God's exaltation of Christ. So Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God in the third heavens. And... He has been given to be head head over all things. Over all things means the entire universe. We know that God's economy includes Christ heading up all things. Because of Satan's rebellion and man's joining in with Satan's rebellion, the whole universe has fallen into a heap of collapse. But God is going to... Restore order in the universe. What's the means for God to restore order? His means is Christ. That's why He made Christ head over all things. You know, saints, as we're going through this, I hope we're just being impressed. If if in the Godhead, the Father and the Spirit would exalt Christ if in the old creation Christ has the first place, if in the new creation Christ has the first place, if in His resurrection and ascension He's been put into the highest place in the universe, given the name above every name, and been made head over all things to the church, shouldn't we give Him the first place? Shouldn't we exalt Him? Shouldn't we allow Him to be the head over all things? Well, God made Him head over all things, over the entire universe. But how about us? How about in our tiny, tiny personal universe? Are we exalting Christ? Are we giving Him the first place? Is He the head? Is He the head in our personal universe? Do you still have a heap of collapse? in your personal universe? Is there still chaos in your marriage, in your family, in your, your living, in your work situation, in your church life? We need to uh, exalt Christ. We need to give Him the first place. And we need to allow Him to be the head. The head in every aspect of our personal universe. Then three, God has also given him the name which is above every name. Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, how good it is just to call Lord Jesus. You want to give him the first place in all things? How about just learn in all things just to call Lord Jesus. With your spouse, Lord Jesus. With your children, Lord Jesus. With your studies, Lord Jesus. With your neighbors, Lord Jesus. With the saints in your locality, Lord Jesus. And let's all read E together. Christ has the preeminence in the church, being the head of the body, the church. So Christ also has preeminence in the church. Saints, in the church where you are, who has preeminence? Who has the first place? Is it you? Is it you as you're sitting there with all your opinions about the way things are being done? About the, how you don't like certain things? Is that Christ having the first place? Or is that you having the first place? In the church life, wherever we are, we need to allow Christ to have the first place. Allow Him to be the head, to be the head in the church. You know, we have to learn this, that when we have Christ... As the one in the first place. In the position of preeminence. There are no problems. When we give him the first place that he deserves, there are no problems among us. As soon, as soon as we do not give Christ the first place, as soon as we allow something else to occupy the first place, then all kinds of degradation comes into the church. So today, on the earth, in the church, we want to take the lead to give Christ the place that he deserves. That's the preeminence. That's the first place. That's the place of centrality. Now, let's go on to Roman numeral 2. Let's read this together. In God's intention in his economy is that Christ be everything. He is crucial for us to see. Okay, Christ is everything. God wants Christ to be everything to us, and it's crucial that we would see that God wants nothing but Christ, and that in the eyes of God, nothing counts except Christ. Again, Colossians three ten, In the new man, Christ is all, and in all. And before that it says, in the new man, there cannot be Greek and Jew, Barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. It's very definite. There cannot be. There cannot be. In God's eyes, there's only one thing that can be. One thing that counts. That is Christ. That is Christ. Well, I'm thankful that God gives us a lot of pictures, a lot of types in the Bible for us to appreciate. These these, uh, facts that Christ must be everything and that all we need is Christ. And in the Old Testament, we have a wonderful picture related to the children of Israel who are God's people in the Old Testament, who Paul says they are an example for us. And God's people, the children of Israel, they were there in Egypt for 400 years. They were there In slavery, they were there in bondage. One day, God sent Moses to them to deliver them, to bring them up out of Egypt. And we know that in God's delivering them out of Egypt, which typifies the world, and Pharaoh typifying Satan, God gave them the Passover lamb. They kept that Passover. They ate that Passover lamb. And that Passover and that Passover lamb Enabled them to leave Egypt. But we must realize that God's goal was not only to give them the Passover lamb, which Paul tells us is Christ. The Passover is Christ. But God's intention was not just to give them the Passover as a type of Christ, for them only to leave Egypt to leave the world, to leave the bondage there. Under Pharaoh, representing the bondage under Satan. God's intention was to bring them out of Egypt and to bring them to a land. To a good land. So the goal of God was to get His people into that land. Into that good land. And when God's people got to that land, that land meant everything to them. Everything they needed for their existence was in that land. Then, then out of their enjoyment of that land came forth the temple as God's dwelling place and the city Jerusalem for God's kingdom on the earth. That land is a type of Christ. God's intention for all of us is to put us into Christ our land. And just like the children of Israel, for us to realize this land is crucial. Everything we need for our existence is in Christ. Amen. Then, the issue of our enjoyment of Christ and, in, and all His riches is the church as God's dwelling place on earth and the church as God's kingdom on the earth. So, he says, the good land enjoyed by the children of Israel is a complete and all-inclusive type of Christ. Christ is not only our life, but also our territory, our realm, our sphere, in which we walk. Colossians 1.12 We have received Christ Jesus. And then it says, walk in Him. We have received Christ We have received Christ, our land. Now, what is our Christian life for? What is our Christian living? Our Christian life, our Christian living is learning to walk in Christ. To walk in Christ, our land. And as we walk in Him, our land, we enjoy all the riches that are in Christ. But we have to ask, how big? is our territory of Christ. You know, how big was the good land for the children of Israel? Well, it depended where their foot trod. Where their foot trod, that was what they possessed. That was their land. The the more they walked, the more they, they treaded, the territory of that land for them kept expanding. Well, how about Christ to us? How about... Out the territory of Christ to us. Is it narrow? Is it small? Or is it expanding, brothers and sisters? Is our experience of Christ and all that He is, is it expanding day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year? We all need to walk in Christ. You know, in Ephesians 3, Paul talks about knowing the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. These are dimensions. These are the dimensions of the universe because there's no measure given to the breath. It doesn't say how much the breath is, how much the length is, how much the height, how much the depth is. There's no limit given to the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. This is telling us that with Christ, there's no limit. Our Christ is immeasurable. Our Christ is large, but we need to learn how to walk in Him, daily, to enjoy all that is in Him. Well, what's, what's all that's in Christ? What's there? Well, we go to point B, and it uses Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses seven and 10, to tell us some of the riches that are there in this land, some of the riches that are there in Christ, for us to experience and to enjoy. Let's all read, be together. <coughs> Mention. Hey. For our experience and enjoyment, waters, springs, fountains and streams, plants and vegetables, wheat, barley, vine, fig trees, pomegranate, and olive trees, animals, cattle and flocks, Minerals, all mine, stones, mountain, iron, and copper. These are all the riches that were in the land. And all these typify Christ for our experience and enjoyment. If you have not yet had the opportunity to read the book, The All-Inclusive Christ, I would encourage you, get that book. If you have that book and you haven't read it, then I would encourage you, read that book. And your Christ, your Christ will be enlarged. I don't have time to get into a lot of the types, uh, but there's a wonderful footnote in Deuteronomy 8, 7, footnote 1. Of course, you have this book, The All-Inclusive Christ. But let me quickly mention some of the riches of Christ, typified here in Deuteronomy 8, 7 to 10. The water, the water the water brook springs and fountains that flow in valleys and mountains. This typifies the life of Christ that's in the Spirit flowing to us to supply us. And this water, this life of Christ that's in the Spirit flowing to us flows in valleys and mountains. Doesn't this describe just our Days, our, our human experience. Don't we have valleys? Don't we also have mountains? We don't just have a plain. Thank the Lord, we do get some mountains, right? But even on those good days, what does the Lord want to do? Flow, flow Himself as the water of life. And then we not only have mountains, oh, we all know we got some valleys, right? And sometimes we seem to have long valleys. <laughs> But when you get into a valley, what do you find in the valley? You find water there. You find the Lord has come with you, come with you into the valley, flowing Himself there as life to you in that valley. He's not just life to you on the mountaintops, not just in those conferences, and those meetings, and those days where you're really enjoying Him, but even on those difficult days, the days where there's the valley, He flows Himself there to supply us with himself as life. Then he's the wheat. This is the incarnated Christ who was crucified and buried to multiply himself. You know, I have a note. Don't get into too much detail because you'll run out of time. But it's hard not to get into detail. This Christ is so enjoyable. I recently read the book The All-Inclusive Christ again and I was touched on this matter of the wheat. You know, The wheat is the incarnated Christ. You know, for God to become a man, to become a little man, a little grain of wheat, that's a great limitation. But our God in his incarnation was willing to come down and be limited, limited in that shell of humanity for 33 and a half years and was willing to fall into the ground to die so that what? He could be multiplied And don't you experience many times you find out in human life and in human relationships that you have to become like a little grain of wheat? You become very limited, very limited. And sometimes our circumstances, our situations limit us so much that we almost cry out, I can't take it. I can't take this limitation. But someone in in you says, but I can but I can't. I'm the grain of wheat. Well, he's also the barley. Barley is the first fruit to ripen in the good land. And this typifies the resurrected Christ. So we enjoy him not only as the incarnated Christ, but also the resurrected Christ. Then we have the vine. The vine uh, typifies the Christ who sacrificed himself to produce wine that would cheer God and man. Amen. Christ is one who chairs God and man. Amen. You want to chair God and man? Just be filled with Christ. Amen. Don't you like being around people who are filled with Christ? Amen. Then the, the figs, so sweet. The fruit, so sweet. Signifies the sweetness and satisfaction of Christ as our supply. He's not only our supply, but He's so sweet And he's so satisfying. Then the pomegranate typifies the expression of the abundance and the beauty of Christ as life. Christ is not only life, but there's an expression of the abundance of him as life and the beauty of him as life. Then Christ is the reality of The olive tree. You know, Christ is the one who is full, full of the Holy Spirit. And in Judges 9.9, it tells us that the oil from the olive tree was to give honor to God and honor to man. That means that if we want to give honor to God and if we want to give honor to man, we need to be full, full of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we be full of the Holy Spirit? Just get filled with Christ. Then this land's flowing in milk and honey. Milk and honey is produced both from the plant life and the animal life. Something of redemption there and something of uh, Christ giving us himself as life. And milk is very rich. Honey is very sweet. This means our Christ is so rich and our Christ is so sweet. You know, he's so good. He's so sweet. Don't we have a hymn? Something like that. He is so rich. Right? He is so sweet. Okay. So good. How about you just turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is so good. And then turn back and say, He's so sweet. Then you have these minerals. You have stones. And stones are in the mountains. And then with these stones, there's iron and there's copper. This shows us that with Christ, He's the living stone. And what He's doing is He's making us stones, living stones, what? For God's dwelling place. You enjoy Christ and He will make you what? The material for God's dwelling place. And then it's in the mountains, typifying not only the resurrected and ascended Christ but also in the mountain, that's where Jerusalem is, that's where the city was, that's where the kingdom uh, was. So with this Christ, when we enjoy Him, not only do we have the building of the temple, God's dwelling place, but we also have the bringing forth of God's kingdom. And because there is another kingdom opposing God's kingdom, we also can experience Christ as the iron and the copper, mainly for what? the spiritual weapons for fighting the spiritual warfare. You want to join in to fight the spiritual warfare? You need Christ. Well, what a Christ we have. Christ is all these things, but we need to walk in Him. We need to possess Him. We need to enjoy Him in our experience in all these marvelous aspects. Let's all read point C together. We We should walk... Live and act in Christ that we may enjoy his riches, just as the children of Israel lived in the good land, enjoying his rich rich produce. The good land today. today. Now, my outline had a typo, maybe yours got corrected, but the verse reference. Galatians 3 should be verse 14. Okay? Mine had verse 4, but it should be verse 14. So in this verse, Paul was clear that the blessing to Abraham, the promise to Abraham, physically, it was that land. But then Paul says, to us now has come this promise, the promise of the Spirit. So today, Christ, who is the reality of that land, He comes to us today as the Spirit. And this Christ, who comes as the Spirit, is in our spirit. He's even one with our spirit. And for us today, to walk in this land, to walk in this Christ, to live in this Christ, to act in this Christ, to possess more of this Christ, to enjoy this Christ. All we have to do is turn to our spirit to learn how to live, walk, and act in our mingled spirit. And there we can enjoy Christ as the reality of the land. Now, let's go on to Roman number 3. This is Christ is everything to the believers for their enjoyment, oh, that's us. We're the believers. Christ is everything to the believers. A says Christ is God is the God allotted portion to the saints. One, the Father has qualified us for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in. The light. Saints, Christ is the land. He is everything. And the Father has qualified you for a share, for a portion, for a lot of Christ. We all have been given a portion of Christ. Amen. <laughs> For us to do what with it? To enjoy it. To possess it. To have all that's there in this wonderful Christ. So I'd like to check with you. (coughs) Many, many appreciate Christ as the Lamb. As the Passover Lamb. The one who died and redeemed us. But just as we saw with the Example, the type of the children of Israel, the lamb was for the land. The lamb was for the land. The lamb was for God's people to get to the land. I'd like to check with you today. Regarding your Christ, is he only a lamb or is he a land? A lamb or a land to you? We should not just be stuck in our appreciation and enjoyment of Christ as a Lamb, we should all be able to declare and testify, Christ our Lamb is also our land. Amen. And the Father has qualified you. You are qualified. You have the right to possess and occupy and enjoy this Christ as your land. Then point two says the phrase theirs and ours in 1 Corinthians 1-2 indicates that Christ as the all-inclusive one belongs to all the believers. So Paul's talking to the church in Corinth there. He speaks of them being the ones who uh, are the called saints calling on the name of the Lord. Who is referring to the Lord, who is theirs and ours. In every place, in every local church over all the earth, we've all been given the same portion. What's that portion? Christ! And then, in that same chapter, in verse 9, it tells us that God was faithful. God was faithful to call us into the fellowship of His Son. His Son is Christ. Christ, who is our land. So, God has not only given us Christ as our land, He has been faithful to call us, call us into a fellowship. That means into a joint participation of Christ as our land. So, when we gather together in our localities, what are we gathering to do? We're gathering together to enjoy Christ, our land. He's everything. B, Christ is our life. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ our life. You know, it's hard, it's hard to, to know what life is. Even with the physical life that we have, it's impossible to, 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 to really see it. Uh, but what we can see with the human life is we can see the activities of that human life. You know, if we look at someone, we can see them breathing. We know, okay, good. They still have life, right? And then we can see all kinds of activities of that life. Well, today, Christ is our life. He is in us as the source for our living. He is our life. And we know He's our life because with us, we experience the activities of His life within us. This is why there's something within us that's moving, something within us that's stirring, something within us that causes us to be living, to be active, even to be aggressive for God. What's this? This is nothing of ourselves. This is all Christ as our life. You know, I think many of us (coughs) may have had the experience When it came to the things of the Lord, there was not much activity in us at all. Then, as we received Christ as our life, as He was in us as life, something began to move within us, to operate within us, to stir up within us, and even to cause us to become quite aggressive for the things of the Lord. Well, what was that? Was that you? Was that you getting inspired to be for the Lord? No, that was Christ in us as our life. Then two says, because Christ is in us as our life. Well, she one says, Christ lives in us. This is Galatians 2.20. No longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You know, the background of Galatians there is some had come down from uh, Jerusalem, the Judaizers, to get the Gentile churches to go practice Judaism, particularly to practice Keeping the law. And Paul, he's burdened that the saints would realize, <coughs> excuse me, that Christ, Christ must replace the law with all of us saints in our daily living. Christ must replace the law. It must be Christ who lives in us. Then, two, Christ should be our living. Okay, how about you all read point three? Okay, brothers four. Be born in us. Sisters five. Then all together on six. We, we have, have to grow. Christ. So Christ is life, He lives in us, He becomes our living. Because He's our living, we magnify Christ. And as James shared, this is to make Christ great or unlimited before others. You know, in us, we are just limited. You take any human virtue that we have, there's a limit to it. You know, patience. You may be a very patient person, but there's a limit to your patience. You may be a very kind person. But there's a limit to your kindness. But with Christ, there's no limit. And you consider this guard, this Praetorian guard chained to Paul. I don't believe that guard was a nice person. He was chained to Paul. He observed Paul 24 hours a day, every day that he was chained to Paul. Maybe at the beginning he saw Paul being full of joy. And he just said, wow, this is an unusual prisoner. You know, he's a happy, happy person today. But probably the God thought, that won't last long. (laughs) But every day, there's Paul full of joy. Eventually, this guard is beginning to marvel. How can this man be so unlimited in his joy? And then eventually, the revelation will come. You are seeing Christ, the unlimited one being made great in this small man, Paul. Well, saints, in a sense, aren't we all chained to a lot of things? You think about this. We get married. In a good sense, we get chained to someone. And then we get children. And in a good sense, we get chained to them. In other words, our spouse and our children, they don't just see us at the meeting time, when we dress up like a good brother or a good sister, they are there all the time, right? They see everything, right? And beginning with myself, they see how limited we are, right? In our love, in our patience, in our willing to suffer, in our uh, uh, kindness. They see how limited we are. But wouldn't it be wonderful with our spouse, with our children, that we would magnify Christ? Amen. But the only way we can do that is if we take Christ as everything. Amen. Everything in our living. Then as we take him as everything in our living, this Christ will be formed in us. This is in Galatians 4.19. You know, in Galatians 1, Christ was revealed in Paul. That means Christ was born in Paul then in Galatians 2:20 this Christ that was born in Paul it says this Christ was now Paul's life living within Paul then eventually in Galatians 4:19 Paul says that this Christ would be <coughs> formed fully formed that means this Christ not only would be born not only would live but this Christ would become full growing in us. <clears throat> so today we need Christ to increase in us. We need Christ to grow in us. In Galatians 2:19, this is to grow with the growth of God. To grow with the growth of God is is to have the increase of God in us. It has is to have the addition of the element of God in Christ into us. Our growing is not our changing of our behavior due to some picking up of some good biblical teachings. Sometimes we might pick up some teachings in the Bible and we use it to adjust our behavior and we might feel, good, I'm growing. But that's not real growth. Real growth is the increase of God, the element of God, which is the increase of Christ in us. And we want this Christ to increase in us more and more until He is full grown in us. And this becomes... Our hope of glory. What is our hope of glory? Our hope of glory is Christ. It's this indwelling Christ who's within us. Our hope is that this Christ who is in us as our life, who is living in us, that He will grow in us and that He will saturate our entire being, even our body, with Himself. That's the hope of glory. That's who Christ is to us. Now, D., It says, Christ is every necessity and our full enjoyment. Oh, this is wonderful. I'll just read through these points. But this is who Christ is. Christ is our light. Christ is our spiritual food. Christ is our spiritual drink. Christ is our breath. Christ is our clothing. Christ is our dwelling place. Christ is our enjoyment and rest. Well... In the physical realm, you need all these things. Light, food, drink, breath, clothing, dwelling place. How often do you need them? I need them every day. I need these things every day. That means God has given us the picture every day. Every day you need Christ as your light, as your food, your drink, your breath. How about your breath? How often do you need to breathe? All the time. We need to breathe the Lord all the time then Christ is our enjoyment and rest. You know, in Colossians two sixteen and 17, Paul talks about, don't let people judge you regarding your eating, your drinking, your keeping the Sabbaths of the new moon. <clears throat> For these things are but a shadow, but the body is Christ. Amen. In other words, Paul realized that Christ is the reality, the body of all the positive things. In the universe. And these matters of our eating, our drinking, our Sabbath, the feast, the new moon. These are all related to man's enjoyment and man's rest. So Paul realized the, the real rest, the real enjoyment is not in anything physical. The real enjoyment, the real rest can only be found in Christ. Okay, E. Christ is our divine provision. Christ is God's power. Christ is God's wisdom. Christ is God's righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. Christ is our redemption. Christ is God's power for carrying out and accomplishing all that God has planned and purposed. Do you have any power in yourself? No, but Christ has been put in us as God's power He's able to carry out that which God has planned and purposed in us. Christ is God's wisdom. I love this point. He's our wisdom. That means He's our present, practical wisdom. Do you realize there's lots of things in human life you can't find a verse in the Bible to tell you what to do? Then what do you do? Don't turn to self-help books. Don't turn to, 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 to psychologists who write about this and that. You know, we have someone in us who is God's wisdom. He is our present practical wisdom. You know, I've got 3 children and they're getting older. Now, uh there two of them are adults. They're adults and I'm realizing in my relationship with them, I've got to learn how to have a certain way with them that I can't use what I used when they were 4 years old. Now they're now they're adults. And I realize I don't know what to say to my children. And I realize I can't say nothing, but I can't say what I used to say because they won't hear it or receive it. Then how do I talk to them? And I realize Christ is God's wisdom to us. If I contact Him, join myself to Him, He will be the wisdom how to speak to these young adults that are living. In my house with me. <laughs> who think it's their house, but anyway. <clears throat> he's our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Okay, we need to go on. Let's all read Roman number five. Christ is everything to the church. So he's not just everything to the believers. He's everything to the church. Christ is the head of the body. Then B says, Christ is the body of of the head. So Colossians 1:18 declares he's the head of the body, but 1 Corinthians 12:12 tells us that the body is Christ. He is the body. How could this be? Well, all of us, the believers of Christ, we are organically united with Christ. And we are constituted with Christ's life and element. Therefore, we have become His body. We have become Christ for His expression. Just like Saul of Tarsus when he was on the way to Damascus and the Lord spoke to him from the heavens and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you persecute well Saul was persecuting the Christians the believers who are the members of Christ yet the voice didn't say why are you persecuting my members it said why the voice said why are you persecuting me in other words this wonderful me this culprit me is Christ not only as the head of the body but Christ also as the body of the head He's the head. He's the body. Christ is the foundation of the church. He's the unique foundation. There is no other foundation. And this foundation, one reason why it's unique, is it's a living foundation. I know there are some brothers who are builders here. I'm sure you have never laid a living foundation. (laughs) But Christ, He is a living foundation. And because we are being built together on this one, on this one, what does he do as a living foundation? He's not only holding up and supporting God's building, but he's dispensing, dispensing himself as life into every part, every part of God's building. That's why we don't come together in any other name. If you come together in any other name, you are taking something or someone else as your foundation. Our foundation is only Christ. When we come together in His name, what's He doing? He's dispensing life into us. And that life builds us up. So then D says, Christ is the living stone, the cornerstone, and the topstone of the house of God, the church. Oh, what a Christ! the living stone. This is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. That we would come to Him, the living stone. Then when you join yourself to Christ, the living stone, He puts His stone nature within you to make you a living stone. To make you what? Material that's suited, that's good for God's building. Then, as the cornerstone, He joins all of us, the living stones together. <clears throat> so the cornerstone is the, the, even called the chief stone. The stone that would join two walls together. And particularly we realize Christ is the cornerstone to join the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers together into one building. Amen. Who joins us together, saints? It's Christ. Is there anything else joining us together? No. If it is anything other than Christ then it's not God's building. It's not God's building. Then, not only is Christ the foundation, not only is He the living stone, not only is He the cornerstone, but Zechariah tells us He's the top stone. On top of God's building is laid the top stone. And when it's laid, they shout to that stone, Grace! Grace! Be to it! (coughs) What What a word. What does this mean? It means... Only Christ can consummate and complete God's building. <coughs> and as the one who consummates and completes God's building, he also covers God's building with grace. Here we are being built up with Christ as our foundation, as our living stone, as our cornerstone, as our top stone. And what do we experience when we are here? What do we experience in the building work? It's just grace. 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 That's why they shouted, Grace. Grace to it. Okay. E. Christ is all the members of the new man. Christ is all and in all. He's every member and He's in all the members. But in our experience, it depends upon whether or not we let Christ live in us. When we allow him to live in us, he is everything. Everything in the new man. Okay, I need to go on to finish to give you some time to respond. Roman number five says, Christ is the centrality and the universality of God's New Testament economy. At the end of message one, the last point in the outline there was related to the wheel of God's move in Ezekiel. Uh, God's move is... Typified by a a wheel. A wheel has a hub. That's the center. That's the holding power. That's where the strength is. And in Colossians 1, verse 17, it says, All things cohere in him. All things are held together, subsist in Christ. With God's move, God's move, God's move is carried out. In Christ. Even the strength, the strength of God's move is in Christ. And with a wheel, you have spokes for for support and for strength. That's Christ. Then with a wheel, you have the circumference, the rim of it. That's Christ. Today, everything related to God's move is Christ. God moves in the individual Christ. But God also moves today in this great wheel, the corporate Christ. Amen. But when we move, it's not us moving alone. Who is it? It's Christ moving in us. Amen. Then let's read Roman numeral six together, saints. Christ is the reality of every section of the god ordained way. Okay, brothers A., Sisters B. Christ is the reality in the being of the new believers. Brothers, Christ. Christ is the reality of the perfecting of the saints in the Bible. vital group. Sisters D. Christ is the reality in the building of the church, the body of Christ, and prophesying the meeting of the church. Okay, we will have a uh, entire message on touching the God ordained way, but in brief The God-ordained way is the way God has ordained for the church to be built up. It's not the way of a clergy system. but God's ordained way is that all the members of the body of Christ would function. All the members would function to preach the gospel. Then after preaching the gospel, to feed the new believers. Then to be brought together to be perfected. Uh, by one another and to have mutual shepherding and care of one another. And fourthly, for all the members of the body of Christ to prophesy for the building up of the church. Well, we have to realize as we are functioning in these four steps, it's actually Christ in us. You know, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? The gospel is not just you going out. The gospel is you and I being filled with Christ. Christ and going out to bring this Christ to people. You, without Christ, there is no gospel. Christ is the reality and the content of the gospel. Then when we go to visit new believers in their homes, it should not be just merely we who go. It should be Christ in us who goes to them. And then we need to bring them food. That food that we bring is Christ. Amen. Then we need to be grouped together and we need to have a mutual care of one another considering one another, fellowshipping with one another, shepherding one another. But what's all that? That has to be Christ in us. That has to be us living Christ. Otherwise, if I'm considering you and caring for you, but it's not Christ doing it in me, then it's just something social. It's something of man's social works. But that's not what the church is. The church is Christ living in us. And this Christ living in us Causes us to have a care for one another, causes us to fellowship with one another, to shepherd one another, to help one another. And then prophesying is not just to speak <clears throat> for the Lord, but actually to prophesy is to speak forth the Lord and even to speak the Lord into others. So actually, when we stand up to speak, it's not just we speaking, we should have the realization the Lord is speaking in me and through me into others. Well, saints, I hope this outline gives us the help, the unveiling to see Christ is the centrality. He is the preeminent one. And he is the universality. He is everything. So how about in our experience, let's take him as the one who is the centrality and the universality in God's economy. Okay, can we sing the chorus of 513 again, and then the brothers will tell us what to do. All in all forever, only Christ I'll see, everything is in, and Christ is everything.